Thank you, Mackenzie. Um, good morning, Risen Hope. I hope that you're all doing well this morning. Friends, let's pray real quick before we get into the Word and ask God to help us. Heavenly Father, you are great and you are worthy to be praised. And as we come to the end of this this series that we're in, Father God, I pray that you would exert that greatness and that glory and that beauty and that worth into our hearts right now, that you would lean into wherever we are right now, wherever we are in, in the greater Seattle area, wherever we are in our homes, Father, wherever we are in our hearts, that you would lean into that and that you would open our eyes to see your truth from your word. It requires a supernatural work that only you can do. So open our eyes to your truth and create in this last sermon out of uh, the series that we've been, create in us a kind of boldness, a kind of unashamed witness that will allow us to fulfill the, the holy calling that we have in Christ Jesus. I ask for you to do that in me today, Father. And I ask for you to do it in my friends who are gathered here. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. So Jesus gives a, a piercing warning in Mark eight thirty-eight, 38, um, a part of a passage we've been reading for weeks now. And he gives it to everyone who he calls to himself to follow him. Here's the warning, Mark eight thirty-eight: Whoever is ashamed of me, And of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. Of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed. When he comes in the glory of his Father. With the holy angels. So today is is the last Sunday we're going to be spending in this current series that we've called To Die For. Next week, God willing, we'll get back into the Gospel of John. I'm very excited about that. Um, But today... Um, we've been looking at the series over the last few weeks, and, and the series is, is really forcing us to look at what it means to follow Jesus. And this warning that we just read from Mark 8.38 is part of his call to follow us. It's the last section in his call to, to follow him. And so today what I want to do is I want to zero in on this warning because I feel as though this warning itself, at the very end of his call to us, strikes at the heart of why it is so easy for us to be silent, for you and I to be silent in our witness, for us not to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. As followers of Jesus, we have in our possession the very words of Jesus Christ. We have the gospel of salvation, the the reality that he entered the world to redeem us from sin and death. And they're called throughout the gospel of John, for example, the words of eternal life. These are, th- these are words that Jesus purchased for us on the cross, and we have them in our possession. We have his words to bring people into the family of God. And yet, it is so easy for us to remain silent. Probably because we're scared of a number of things. We're scared of, of uh, retaliation. We're scared of being ostracized. We're scared of being thought poorly of. We're, we're scared of losing our jobs. We're, we're scared potentially. I mean, if we were in other countries, we would be scared of being killed for the sake of the gospel. And so as we finish this series, I really felt compelled that I, I, want, 
I want to look at the one person in the scriptures who we've seen over the last few weeks here and there who knew this fear most intimately, who understood what it was like to be on the line for Jesus, and that is the Apostle Paul. I, I want to know why, as we look at his life, he refused to be silent. How did he do that? How did he, he, how was he able to be so bold and so unashamed in his proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we see pictures of him over and over and over again, repeatedly standing undaunted in the face of certain danger and even his own death, which was, uh, which he was going to face multiple times, but then he faced obviously before he died. I want to know how he did that. I want to know how he grappled with these fears and how he defeated them and went on to proclaim the gospel because I want to share in that. And so if you have your Bible, and I hope that you do, please take it and turn with me to Acts 20. This is where we're going to begin today. Acts 20, verse 22. And as you turn there, let me set the stage a little bit. Paul in Acts 20 is on his way to Jerusalem from a missionary journey that he's been conducting. And he's going to deliver money to the churches in Jerusalem and in Judea. He's collected this, this money from the Gentile churches that he's planted throughout Macedonia and Asia Minor. And now he wants to bring this money to the impoverished saints in Judea. And so on his way back through Asia Minor, he stops at this coastal city called Miletus. And in Acts 20, he calls for the elders of Ephesus, which isn't too far away, to come to the, him if, if they're able to, because he wants to give them one final word of encouragement before he leaves. Um, this word of encouragement is a big deal, because he probably will not be coming back to them. Since his conversion to Christianity, Jerusalem has not been kind to Paul at all. Um, and he knows that they despise him and they're constantly seeking to lay traps for him. So this could very well be a one-way trip for Paul. And everyone who's present, all the Ephesian elders know this. They know what's at stake. And so Paul here, in giving the Ephesian elders this final word of encouragement, he expresses the very thing that we're looking at today. The unashamed fearless proclamation of the gospel and how he's gone about it in his life. Listen to this. Acts 20, starting with verse 22. Paul's talking to the elders here. He says, And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. 
Paul here says, I, I, I am constrained by the Holy Spirit to go back to Jerusalem, even if imprisonment and afflictions await me there, which he's confident they, they, they will be there for him. In fact, in chapter 21, just after this, he says, I'm not even afraid if I'm going to die in Jerusalem. He knows something is headed for him, yet he is constrained to do this. And the reason he is constrained to do this despite the great peril that awaits him, he tells us in this passage, he says, I do not account my life of any value nor is precious to myself. That's how Paul can walk into certain danger. In other words, the value and the preciousness of his own life is not relevant to him given the stakes of his ministry. And that ministry that he's received from Jesus has given him a burden for the gospel, a a weighty burden. He says, just understanding what the gospel is and its significance and its necessity, he says, to him, his life is without any value when put in comparison to that urgent necessity that has been laid on him to share the gospel. Which is why he says, if only, if only, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. This is Paul's entire purpose. This is his life. He longs to finish his course. He longs to finish his ministry, which is embodied in this testifying to the gospel of grace. There is nothing greater in Paul's mind than that even when he compares it to his own life, like when he compares this to his, his own health, his own comfort, when he compares that against the need of finishing his course, he says, I don't account my life of any value. It is not valuable to me in the least, not because he hates his life, but because the gospel is so much more important. For Paul, the gospel is infinitely more significant because it's dealing with eternal realities than his own life. And so with tears in his eyes, and we know he had tears because of what the the verses that follow this, this speech, with tears in his own eyes, he tells the elders here, this is probably the last time I'm going to see you. This is it. And then he says something remarkable, and it's connected to his commitment to declare the gospel, to declare the whole counsel of God. Listen to this. He tells them that he's innocent of the blood of them all. He says, I'm innocent of all your blood. Verse 26, therefore I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all. Now why? (laughs) Why would Paul say that? Why would he make that statement? Well, he tells us why he says that. He says, for I did not shrink. That is, I didn't hesitate. I didn't draw back from I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. This is why he says, I'm innocent of your blood. And the reason this is remarkable, if you think about this, the reason this is such a remarkable thing for him to say is that it clearly implies that if he had kept silent and not shared the gospel with them, then he would have been, he wouldn't have been innocent of their blood, he would have been guilty. He would have been guilty of their blood. That's what this means. Otherwise, he'd have no reason to say this to them. He's telling them 
that if I had refused to proclaim the gospel to you, I would have been guilty of your blood. Now, this may seem to us, like with Americans with individualist sensibilities, this may seem very dramatic to us um, because we don't like to be held accountable for other people's mistakes or other people's sins. But this isn't dramatic to God. This is a biblical concept. For example, listen to this passage from Ezekiel. Ezekiel 3, starting with verse 17, God is calling Ezekiel to be a prophet, someone who carries his word and proclaims it to other people. Listen to what God says to him. He says, son of man, he's talking to Ezekiel here, I've made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity. But his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked, God continues, and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die for his iniquity. But you will have delivered your soul. That's heavy. That is heavy. That is a massive burden attached to possessing God's word. God is saying the possession of his own word, this warning that needs to be (laughs) delivered to a, a, a person who's in sin, a person who's wicked, demands to be spoken. In fact, it must be spoken by the person to whom it was given. And if it's not, God's response is, his blood I will require at your hand, Ezekiel. That is heavy. God is not playing games when he speaks. He does not take his word lightly. When his word comes to a person, it comes with a weighty obligation. God even goes so far here to say that your soul is only delivered from this burden, this obligation, by delivering the words that I've given you to the wicked. It's the only way you get out when you get his words. And so you can see just from Ezekiel's commissioning, his call, why Paul regarded his ministry with so much gravity, why he took this so seriously. Paul is using the same language that God used when he called Ezekiel. And this is what drives Paul not to be ashamed. This is why he doesn't shrink back and is instead unabashedly bold in his witness. He feels this weight on him. He knows his obligation. And I think we might respond, trying to be safe about this. We, we We might say, well, that makes sense for Paul. That makes sense for Ezekiel. They were called by God to specific ministries. They're special. That's why they have this obligation. But this can't, this kind of weight can't be true about us, right? I mean, we're not prophets, we're not apostles, we're not missionaries per se. So we couldn't possibly be responsible at the same level that they were, could we? Well, the problem with that line of thinking is that the obligation that these two men have to declare the word of God isn't from their title. It's from the fact that they have in their possession God's 
word. They have God's own word in their possession. And that fact is true about every single person who's received the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have his word. We have his command, his call to repentance. <clears throat> Which is why when we get to Mark 8:38, the call of Christ to follow him is so serious. He says again in Mark 8:38, this is Jesus, whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the son of man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with his holy angels. The statement that Jesus makes there isn't just for Paul. It's not for Ezekiel. It is for everyone who follows Jesus Christ and has been given his word. We are called to not be ashamed of speaking his words to anyone. This obligation isn't connected to a title. In fact, the title that those men possess, Paul as an apostle and and uh, Ezekiel as a prophet was only theirs because they had the words of God. That's what made them have that title. This obligation does not come from a title. It comes from possessing the word of God. So when Jesus here says, don't be ashamed of my words, he means it. He even gives this warning here, don't be ashamed lest we find him, the son of man, ashamed of us when he returns. And so how do we do that? How, how do we not give in to fear? How do we become unashamed of witnessing the gospel? I think it's clear. I mean, <clears throat> if we're being honest, this is the single greatest impediment for witnessing. It's the single greatest impediment for evangelism, fear of shame, fear of rejection, fear of retaliation and even fear of persecution. These are all things that float in our hearts and our minds when we recognize the, the weightiness of having the gospel of Jesus Christ in our possession. And if we're honest about it, the reason that we're so disinclined to communicate the gospel of salvation to the people around us, people who are in desperate need to hear it, the reason we're so disinclined isn't because the gospel is untrue. We know it's true. We know that it can save it's because we're afraid. We are afraid. We are afraid of what people might think. We could lose our jobs. We could, we could be ostracized in some horrible way. Um, and if we were in another country, we could even be killed. So it, it's much easier. And, and listen to me here. It, this is what this is. When we don't talk about the gospel with other people, and I'm just as guilty, I'm talking to all of us, it is much easier for us to live and act like there is no gospel. None. And just go about our daily lives and remain silent in the middle of a world that is perishing to know the truth. And we would be forever unable to say with Paul, I am innocent of the blood of all. Because we would not be innocent. So as we close this series, here's the question that I really want to weigh on our hearts. How can I be unashamed? How can I be fearless to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ? How does that happen in a human heart that is captive to fear? 
The gospel, according to Romans 1.16, is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. So how can I be so moved by that reality, by the weightiness of it, by the urgency of it, so moved by it that every fear I have is swallowed up in the gravity of the gospel's power? How does that happen? How can I refuse, just like Paul, to bear the guilt of silence. That's what I want. And so here's what I want us to do for the rest of our time today. I want to turn to one last place in the scriptures and just spend a little bit of time here looking at this. Paul's final letter to Timothy. So 2 Timothy. I want to turn there. Paul wrote this letter while locked up in prison and on, on his way to being executed. Most scholars, based on what Paul says in the letter and, and based on just history, believe that this was written shortly before his own death. And I want to see how Paul, in this final letter, encourages Timothy, this young pastor of the church at Ephesus, the same church he gave the message to back in Acts 20. How does he encourage Timothy to not be ashamed of the gospel, even as hostility and persecution begin to close in around this young man and his church. What does Paul tell him? And how does that drive Timothy to press on? Paul, in this passage, <laughs> will not only encourage Timothy to be unashamed about the gospel, but he's going to show him why and how he himself, even even as he sits in a cell and awaits his execution, his own execution, how he himself is undaunted for the sake of Jesus Christ. And so if you could turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1, we're going to be starting in verse 8. 2 Timothy 1 verse 8. So Paul begins, Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. This is exactly what we need to hear. And this is, this is Paul explicitly drawing out what we need to hear. This is what Jesus is telling every one of his followers in Mark 8.38. Do not be ashamed. Not of me, Jesus says, and not of my words. And so Paul is inviting Timothy to share in suffering for the gospel. And he tells him to do this by the power of God. The power of God. God's power in us, flowing through us, is how we can suffer well for the sake of the gospel, how we can endure all of the things that Paul endured for the sake of Jesus Christ in his word. This power, somehow, Paul's going to explain to us how, allows us, causes us to make war against the fear that rises up in our hearts when we consider all the risks that are at play, when we are called to speak the gospel to people around us, people that we know that need to hear it. Rather than shrinking back from those risks, Paul says we press into it and share in any suffering we experience by the power of God. So that's Paul's entire purpose in this passage. He wants Timothy to see how the power of God is going to strengthen him. And what he's going to do here is he's going to show 
Timothy 3, at least three, I've seen three in here that I want to call out today, three distinct realities that drive him to be willing to suffer for the sake of Christ and the gospel. And today, on this last Sunday that we're going to be looking at in this series, this challenge of following Jesus Christ without any shame, I want, all, I want us to see all three of these, and I want us to embrace all three of these. So let's go through them really quickly. The first is in verse 9. Paul tells us, Share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Paul wants Timothy to see this truth. He wants us to see this truth. The salvation and calling that you and I have, that you and I possess as followers of Jesus Christ, isn't ours because we did anything, because we are anything, because we, we've done anything. It isn't ours by our own ability. It is a result, Paul says, of God's own purpose and grace in our lives. That's the ultimate source for our following of Jesus Christ. Our salvation and our calling come from the purpose and grace of God. Paul is telling us here, he's telling Timothy here, you contributed absolutely nothing to your calling. Your holy calling, your salvation came to you as a singular result of God's gracious work, his purposeful work in your life. And to prove this point, this is wild. Paul says, your holy calling, Timothy, was given to you in Christ, get this, before the ages began. Before the ages began. Your calling to proclaim the gospel did not begin, Timothy, when you first trusted in Jesus. It did not even start when you were born. It didn't even begin at the creation of the cosmos. Your calling to follow Christ began in the heart and the mind of God before the ages even began. We need to let that sit on us for a moment. Think about it. Before the universe, before time, God purposed your holy calling to follow Jesus. The roots of our calling to follow Jesus go all the way down into eternity past. They are not fleeting. They are not momentary. They are not temporary. They existed in God's mind before time and space were created. And if that's true... If that's true and we actually believe it, what would that do to our fear? What would that do to our fear of people in this world, of a culture that's present in this world? What would it do to our fear of anything that we could get from them? All of this is eminently fleeting compared to our calling. This world is a flash in the pan next to the calling that we received from God and the urgency of proclaiming the gospel that comes along with that calling. 
So that's the first thing. Our holy calling came before the ages began. The second is this. It's in verse 10. Paul says that this purpose and grace in the gospel has now been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who, listen, abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Paul is telling us that death has been abolished for everyone who follows Jesus Christ. Death has been abolished. You and I, if our faith is in Christ Jesus, will live forever. We will never die, not in any ultimate sense. We are, as this text says, immortal. That's what the gospel has secured for us. That's what the cross of Jesus Christ purchased for us. And therefore, whatever we experience in this life, no matter if it's shame or suffering or ridicule, whatever we experience is eternally irrelevant. Eternally irrelevant. Any shame we endure in this life is a mere breath. It's like a bubble bursting on the wave in a massive ocean of eternity. And that eternity, eternity future, will be filled with joy, a joy we have in Christ Jesus. Paul is telling Timothy, don't be ashamed. You're going to reign with Christ forever. He bought it in the gospel. It is yours. Don't be ashamed of things that happen in this world, in this present moment. And it, it really makes us ask, why, 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 I'm going to just point at myself here. Why do I feel so preoccupied with what people in my life are going to say about me if that's true? If what Paul just said is true, why would I feel fear? Think about this. The legacy of those who truly belong to Christ, that legacy that we have will outlive and outshine the stars in heaven. If we were truly gripped by that reality, how different would our lives be? How much risk would we in this world, this quick <laughs> half-second 80 years of existence we have in this world, in comparison, it's half-second, how, how, how would we live that differently? How would we risk more? It is a shadow. What we live right now is a shadow compared to eternity. So that's number two, that we will live forever. But Paul's not done here. Not only are the roots of our calling to Christ buried into the depths of eternity past, and not only are the branches of our calling reaching out into eternity future gloriously, but there's more. And this last thing that Paul says, the third thing, in my opinion, is the most critical because it's the most it's the most immediately recognizable thing that Paul delivers here as his motivation for being unashamed, even though he is sitting in a cell writing this letter, expecting at any point in time for guards to come and cart him away and for him to die. By the end of this letter, in fact, he's going to tell Timothy, he's going to say, I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I mean, he's, going, he's putting a period on everything he said years earlier in Acts 20. 
Paul is going to die for Jesus. He has no illusions about this. And so how does he do that? Where is the source of strength that will keep Paul and really all of us unashamed? Paul tells us at the end of verse 10. He says, the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But, he says, I am not ashamed. I'm not ashamed, Paul says. Why? Why aren't you ashamed, Paul? I mean, you are about to be killed for the sake of Christ. Why are you not ashamed? He tells us, for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. That's how I'm unashamed, even though I face a certain death. He says, I know whom I have believed. I know Jesus Christ, and therefore I am not ashamed to know Christ, to know the one whom I have believed, Paul is saying, is to be convinced that he has us to the very end of our lives. Paul knew that he was ultimately, think about this, Paul was ultimately invincible in this world until Jesus was ready to call him home. Nobody could touch a hair on his head outside the permission of Christ. When Jesus wanted Paul home, he would come home. Until that moment, nobody could kill him. He was invincible. Paul knew who he believed. And that fact, the reality of that, totally obliterated every single ounce of fear he had in his heart. That's how Paul was able to do Acts 20. That's how he was able to say, I don't consider my life of any value nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and and complete the ministry that the Lord Jesus has given me. He could say that because he knows who Jesus is. He knows Christ. And that's why he's so unashamed of the gospel. That's why he's convinced that Christ will keep him all the way to the end. And, and, And the end, even in that, even the end, like the end for Paul is just the beginning of being with Christ forever. This is what knowing Christ does to you. It causes you to be fearless. So here's, here's really the question then. The question would be, do we know Jesus? I mean, do we really know Jesus like Paul knows him? Paul is not saying this because he's trying to, you know, brag to Timothy. He's not interested in that. Paul is inviting Timothy into this experience and it was given to us in the scriptures so that God, through the Holy Spirit, would invite us into the same experience. So let's get, let's get real for a moment. How often in our lives, just, just in, in terms of sheer time spent, how often do we pursue knowing Christ by by saturating our hearts and our minds with the scriptures, with his own words. How often do we spend in a given day or in a given week? How often do we pursue knowing Christ by getting on our knees before him and, 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 and wrestling with him in prayer and pleading with him to know his will and to pursue his glory? How often does that happen in a given day or in a week or in a month? Or 
On the other side, how often do, do you and I simply downshift into recreation or distraction when we actually could be spending time with Jesus? And, and let me just be clear, like recreation is not wrong, it's not evil on its own, but it, it certainly can be if it distracts us from our single greatest need to know Christ. And you can tell just by how much time you're spending in things, how much time you give yourself to other things in this world. And this is a problem in our own personal walk. We need to know Christ, but it's also a problem as we've seen here because it's directly connected to our ability to witness. It is a problem if it chokes out any opportunity for us to share the gospel because we simply don't have the confidence to do so. We don't know whom we have believed. And so the question is like, what takes the priority in our lives? Is it knowing Jesus like Paul knew him? Or is it spending time reading the news? Spending time on social media? Spending time watching videos or or TV or movies, those are not bad things in and of themselves, but do they take priority? If we were to assess our lives, would it look like we did a lot of that and very little pursuing Jesus? We had a great amount of interest in these things, but when it came to knowing Christ, we did that when we had to. If the answer is yes, like if that's what we're struggling with, then there should not be any question. This is one of the reasons why our evangelism and our ability to witness the gospel of Jesus Christ is so anemic and so difficult and so challenging for us because we're just, we don't know Christ the way that Paul knew him. And I'm, I'm going to be real. I'm preaching to myself here. This is something we all struggle with. I, I, I desperately want to be able to say with Paul, I am innocent of the blood of all because I did not shrink from declaring the whole counsel of God. I want that for my life. I want that for our church. And in order for me to say that, in order for us to be able to say that, we need to know the one whom we have believed. We need to know Jesus. We need to know him. The only way that the warning that Jesus issues in Mark 8.38 to not be ashamed of him can be obeyed by our hearts is if we really know Christ. Do we know the Jesus that Paul is talking about? <clears throat> and so I'm pleading with you, like as we partake in communion during this last song, as we reflect on the body and blood of Jesus Christ, which was given in order for us to have these things that I just talked about in Paul's letter to Timothy, that we pray and we seek God and we refuse to forfeit our holy calling given to us by God before the ages began that enables us to testify to the gospel. We refuse to forfeit that. We refuse to be ashamed of Jesus Christ and that we, with Paul and with Timothy, endeavor to share in suffering for the sake of the gospel. We don't hesitate from it. We don't shrink back from it because we know whom we have believed. We know him. We know Jesus Christ. And Jesus, if you know him for who he really is, is not only worthy enough to suffer for, 
If you know Jesus, you know that he's worthy enough to die for. And that's what Matthew, that's what Mark 8 is inviting us into. That's what Jesus is commanding us to do as, as followers. And that's what Paul is pointing Timothy through to. And so as we pray here in the next few moments, ask God in your heart to kindle a fire to know Christ like this. Heavenly Father, we love you. We really do. I mean, we do know Christ. If our faith is in Christ Jesus, we do know and we, we love what we know. But oh, how do we need more? We need to know you more and more, Jesus. And so I'm, I'm pleading with you right now, Father God, that your Holy Spirit would, in my heart and in the hearts of my friends, so kindle a fire in, in, in a, a kind of discontentment with just giving our time away to things that are eternally worthless and a hunger and a passion to give our time and our energy to things that are, are eternally significant. I pray that you would kindle in our heart a fire for that and that we would, we would go from this Sunday, Father, with a renewed passion to seek knowing Christ Jesus, to embrace the realities that our holy calling came to us from eternity past and is sending us into eternity future and we have a savior that will carry us all the way to the end. Doesn't matter what this world says to us. Doesn't matter what this world says about us. It only matters what he says. Help that reality be true and real for us in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.